This is a Vault Studios production. This show contains adult subject matter and is meant for mature audiences only. Relationships can be messy affairs. That was certainly the case for Jessica and Matthew Boynton. Their marriage was on the rocks. Divorce was looming. She'd met a lawyer. Matthew had plans to do the same. After four years and two children, the high school romance had turned bitter. They were both ready to call it quits. From the outside to friends and family, the crumbling marriage wasn't a secret. Their neighbors were familiar with the shouting and the slamming of doors. Megan Browning was one of those neighbors. She says Jessica was a best friend, like a sister even. She could confide in Jessica, and Jessica could confide in her. She did. She'd tell Megan about her life, her kids, her ups and downs, and, of course, her husband, Matthew. On April 14th, 2016, Jessica knocks on Megan's door. She tells her friend that Matthew's locked her out of the apartment. I was like, well, just come in here. You can hang out with me. Maybe he'll cool off and go back over. And during that time, we're talking on the porch, you know, about what's going on, what she's planning on doing, and stuff like that. And... She, uh, she's talking about all this stuff, about the divorce, what she wants to do. And in the midst of all of that, Matthew texts her and tells her they're going to Walmart and she needs to come down. So, of course, she leaves. And before she leaves, I tell her, you know, you need to come back. I want you to come back here. I don't feel right. Something's not right. And she goes, I will. I promise. Jessica and Matthew take the boys and head to Walmart. It's not far. Video surveillance shows the family entering the Griffin store at 17 minutes after 10 o'clock that night. Less than 20 minutes later at 10.35, the Boyntons are seen leaving Walmart. Megan eagerly awaits for Jessica to come home, but she doesn't see her again that night. And then that's when I hear gunshot shortly after, I don't know, 11... 11.30, if that. And I had already, I had just laid down when that first shot went off. And I raised up out of the bed. I was like, what was that? And my fiance was like, it sounded like a gunshot. Well, not thinking of it, you know, I laid back down. But then she hears another shot about 15 minutes later. And my porch was angled enough to where I could sit there on my porch and you can't see nothing. You can't see me, can't see nothing. And I see Matthew briskly leaving his apartment very fast, like, like I don't know if he was just going somewhere, but he, he left quick and comes out and speeds down the, um, what we call the driveway of the apartment complex and leaves. He was walking really fast out of that apartment complex. Almost, almost running. (laughs) And he left. Despite her concern for Jessica and what sounds like gunshots, Megan and her fiancé Eric don't call police, nor do other neighbors. There's a factory in the back. There is a gun range in the back of the apartment complex. Um, So I automatically assumed maybe it's from the, the gun range or the factory. The shots, 
Even though they sounded close, I couldn't tell where they were coming from, you know? I'm gonna call up Griffin Petey and be like, hey, there's gunshots going off somewhere around our apartment complex. They're not gonna respond to that at all. They're not. I mean, you have to have a direct place and time and everything for where it happened. And I did not have any idea where those shots were coming from at that time. Megan wishes she could turn back the clock now. She wishes she would have gone to see her friend. Being pregnant, my fiance would not let me go over there because I did say something that, hey, I want to go over there and check on Jessica. He was like, no, because what if Matthew's over there and he they're fighting? You know, I don't want you getting hurt. You know, you're pregnant. You know. And I, I understood. I still wanted to go check on her. And after Matthew left, I still wanted to go check on her. But taking my fiance's orders in case something really did happen, you know, and this was a dangerous situation. And my safety of my unborn child was very important. I went back to bed, not even thinking about it. I thought, okay, maybe they got in a fight. He's leaving the house. Well, they were arguing or something happened, and he's leaving because he's mad. Matthew Boynton later tells investigators what he remembers about that night. Um... See, today's date is uh, it's Friday, April 15th, 2016, times approximately 4.18. Sitting in a stark interview room with GBI agent Chris DeMarco, he says the family went to Walmart, then came back home. The story matches what their neighbor Megan recalls, but Matthew also describes what happened before they left for the store. There's no mention of locking her out. So y'all left the apartment went to Walmart? Uh, not, not quite. We're, we did, but mm-hmm. not, not quite. We're getting, we're getting there. Okay. Matthew says Jessica grabs his phone while he's in the shower. He gets out and asks for the phone. He gets it back. Then he says she yells at him. He goes back to the bedroom, gets dressed, and they leave for Walmart. They go inside, but she stays ahead of him. And then she leaves the store without him. They meet back up outside at Matthew's truck. At that time, we're sitting in the truck, and she says, I just want you to tell me the truth. So I started trying to talk to her, and she said, you know what, me and Tyler are going to go back inside. We'll find our own way home. I didn't argue with her. I called Lieutenant Curtis Keyes, uh, who's a lieutenant on shift tonight. I thought, look, man, this is what she's doing. Uh, you know, she went back in the store. You know, I don't want to do anything illegal. Do I need to wait for her, you know, until she changes her mind? Or am I good to go ahead and go home or what? Lieutenant Keyes remembers getting the call from Matthew that night. And he said that... Uh... They was up there shopping there, and they might have had some disagreement on something that she didn't want to go home. So I told him, I said, look, if she don't want to go home, he's like, well, I don't know what to do. I said, she's a grown lady. You can't force her in the truck. You know, maybe she got a ride or she'll call somebody to come take her home. But it's not the first time Matthews called police about a domestic situation. And when he reminds Keyes about the history between him and Jessica, Keyes changes his mind he decides to send an officer over to make a report. In the meantime, as Officer Adam Trammell is dispatched, Jessica returns to the truck again, and they head back home. Trammell is later asked by investigators what he remembers about the call. 
Yeah, yeah. When I got out there, um, Matt was already outside. So I pulled up. Um, he was already standing outside when I arrived on scene. So he met me at my car. Um, basically, I got out. He explained what happened. Um, I pulled a case number, um, and that was it. Okay. Um, and you, you didn't go up to see Jessica? No, no, I didn't see her. Um, he, he didn't, Matt just said he just wanted a report done, so I, I didn't really make contact with her. Okay. All right. Once we got back, uh, I don't remember uh, what we talked about or anything like that. Matthew says Jessica went to the apartment office, maybe to use the computer there. She comes back and he tells her he's heading out to meet his friend, Josh Guthrie, for dinner at Waffle House. That's when Matthew says Jessica calls to him and says, can I talk to you? She's clearly upset. She started crying and she knelt down and I said, what's wrong? Are you okay? And uh, she said, can you call me EMS? I said, oh, I was like, can you breathe? Because I, I thought she was having like an anxiety attack from everything going on mm-hmm. and from crying because she had cried earlier. So I said, you know, can you breathe? I mean, you got to tell me what's going on so I know whether or not we need to, you know, just call an EMS or take you to the hospital or if we need to do anything at all. We just get you some medicine, what, you know, whatever. I didn't know what to think. So I asked her, I said, well, can you breathe? You know, when I was asking her questions, I don't remember everything I asked her. She wouldn't answer me. Right. And uh, she stood up, and I don't remember if she said anything or not. Uh, she, I remember her shutting the door in my face. And it was common. This was a regular thing, especially here lately. So I said, okay. I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to try to go back in. I'm just going to go ahead and go to Waffle House. Three text messages are sent from Matthew Boynton's cell phone around this time. All three go to Officer Josh Guthrie. The first at 12.48 a.m. saying, on the way, followed by, stand by on that at 12.50 a.m. Presumably, that's when Jessica calls him back to the apartment. And then less than a minute later, he texts, back en route. Boynton describes getting in his truck and heading to Waffle House. And then, when he's on the way, he gets a text from Jessica. Once I get behind the Griffin Christian Women's Center, I get right behind it, and I get a text from her. I don't remember everything in the text, but it said something about uh, loving the boys, and she, she had been having suicidal thoughts recently. So, you know, I was like, oh my God. The first thing, I, I called Guthrie because it was the quickest thing to do. And I knew he was on duty, and he was already supposed to be there. Or, you know, clo- he's already supposed to be on the way, so I knew he would be close. Mm-hmm. And I also called Angie, uh, I believe it was a black lady for dispatch. Hey, uh, are you on EMS? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, can you please dispatch a unit out to my uh, location at 53 Ashford Way? Some in reference uh, to my wife. And I, I told her, I told the dispatchers, like, look, I'm not at home. I'm I'm trying to get there. I don't remember if I told her how fast I was going or not. I know at one point I hit 90 going down Carver. And I, I know I did because I didn't know what was going on. You know, with that stuff, you never know if it's a bluff or... Or what? Jessica Boynton's text or her husband's phone actually said the following. I can't do this anymore. Take care of Tolan and Tyler. Please tell them I love them every day. I've been suffering for a while now and no one has noticed. Here lately, I've not been able to recognize the person I see in the mirror. This is not the first time I have had suicide thoughts. I love you and the boys. Racing down the road back to his house, Boynton calls his friend and fellow officer, Josh Guthrie, saying he might need some help. Guthrie later tells investigators about getting that call. 
uh, I remember I got on the phone or whatever. And he told me, he said, uh, man, I'm back on the way back to my house. Um, his wife, he said, is having you know suicidal thoughts or whatever. He's like, I've already called EMS. He's like, they're already on the way over there. I'd like for you to ride over here so somebody's here, you know. They, they've, they've been going through you know, a rough time or whatever. Okay. Um, I think I'm talking about splitting up and things like that. Okay. You know, and he told me, he's like, I just want somebody to be over there, you know. Mm-hmm. In case anything happens, you know, I have you know, a witness, you know, I get a report or whatever. And uh, as soon as he said that, you know, I told myself, okay, I'm on the way. Minutes later, Matthew arrives back home. So uh, I got there and I was coming in fast, you know, I was trying to hurry up and get there. So I get out of my truck and try to run up to the apartment. And I don't remember if I heard you know, like a wham like that or if it was the two shots. But as I'm coming up the stairs, I hear wham, pop, pop. I run the door. Uh, I believe I unlocked the door, and I don't remember what I did with the keys after that. Um, and I can't remember if I run inside or not, but I know at one point I walked in. You know, I started crying. Um, I think I walked in, and I ran right past the door, which was dumb. I know that. You ran past the master bedroom? No, I ran through the master bedroom hallway. And I ran right past the closet. Oh, into the bed, right into the bedroom. Yeah, and I looked around and I was like, oh my God, I can't find Tyler. And I looked and checked the closet and I was like, oh my God, the door's shut. So I get the, I get the door handle. I don't, remember, I don't know if I did it with my left hand or my right hand. And I wiggle the handle. I said, Jessica, please answer me, Jessica. And you know, I was trying to get her attention. I couldn't hear anything. So I instantly ran back in the kitchen. Uh, if, you, if you run the kitchen, you'll see where I keep my radio, if, unless they took it. Uh, the radio charger on the microwave. Mm-hmm. Ran over there and I was panicking. I was shaking real bad. I cut it on, and I ran back outside. I was crying. I was, I was, you know, I was in shock. I, I went on the radio. Thirty-five, forty-two to thirty-fifteen. I believe I just heard a shot fired coming in my residence. I just came up the stairs two rounds. Seventy-four is in route. Thirty-fifteen. Be advised of a smoke gun smoke. And I can't get an answer to the door. Stay outside. I'll be there in about two. Stay outside. This building 49 through 56. It's the top level. Please hurry. I think my kids are in the closet, too. This has 3015 just has 10. Call you this 10 I know at one point, I, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I had mentioned that the baby might be in the closet with her. Um, and then I, I think I also advised him that I smoked gunpowder. Or it smelled like, you know, it smelled that, like the after smell, like a gun had been fired. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was, I was freaking out. And I just, after that, um, to the best of my knowledge, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I know at some point I sat down on the balcony and, and cried. My whole body, my whole upper body went numb. So you never went into the closet? No, I, it was locked because I jiggled the handle because that's the last place I seen her when I left. Or, right. uh, you know, before we had, had that little disagreement in the, at the door. Right. So I figured, you know, maybe she's in here. And the, all the other lights were off. Now, Tolan, he, I don't remember if he had his little lights plugged in. He's got little Christmas lights on his bed, so he might have had those on. Um, but I, I go in. I don't remember which light was on. And I checked the door. I said, if, in case something happened, I'm not about to kick in the door. So I ran back outside, and, it, and I thought about it. I said, that was gunshots. I said, I just stood in front of this door. And, you know, the thing that haunted me the most about it was I didn't know, you know, because she had told me, you know, reaffirmingly that, you know, hey, Tyler's not yours. I was scared to death because I couldn't find him that, you know, she would shoot me. I mean, shoot him, shoot me, and then kill herself. You know, I didn't know where she was. Even though the closet door was locked, I figured she could still be anywhere in the house. And, you know, having prior disagreements, I, you know, I knew that there was a possibility that, you know, I could have been shot. 
Josh Guthrie remembers hearing Matthew's call to dispatch, hearing the panic in his voice. I remember the call went out over the radio, and um, he was like, um, I can't remember where for I know he said something about, you know, I, I just heard two, you know, you could tell he was in distress, and I just heard two shots coming from, you know, inside my apartment area. And uh, he's like, you know, you could tell he was crying, he was upset, and he's like, you know, I can, um, I can smell gunpowder, you know, so you know it came from in there. At 12.59 a.m., officers are sent to the scene. Officer Brian Jones arrives minutes later. His police body cam is recording as he runs into the house. I got out of my vehicle, ran up the stairway. I seen Matt sitting in the corner of the breezeway. As I got there, he tried to get up and go inside, and I said, no, just stay outside. Stay out, Matt. And I said, where do you think she's at? And uh, he said in the bedroom. And I was like, which one? He said the one on the left when you first come in. Police department. Police department. Officer Jones continues his sweep through the house, arriving at a locked closet in the master bedroom. Went into the bedroom, cleared it, checked under the bed. On the way out, we checked the closet door, which is right in between the hallway for the entry in the bedroom, it was locked. Um, I said, okay, we'll come back to that because the kids were crying in the back. I said, let's go there. So we proceeded to go back to the apartment and uh, cleared the living room, cleared the kitchen, cleared the dining room. And um, we could smell the gunpowder from when we first came in the door. So I'm thinking that she's possibly in the closet. So I checked the knob again, it was still locked. And um, I looked at Lieutenant Keys, I said, I'm gonna have to kick it. He said, go ahead. Kick that door in. Busting into the closet along with other officers on the scene, they find Jessica Boynton. Everybody clear out. So I kicked it, kicked it the second time, the door opened maybe six or seven inches, and that's when I seen her legs. As I peeked in, I looked in and I seen the the blood on the back wall, and I seen her lay down with her hands up, but you can see the blood in her hair. Um, that's when I went in, and I seen her still breathing. I need to move this 32. Can I move this uh, She was on her left side. Um, her feet was facing this wall here. Her hand was in between two pillars. On this side, um, her arm was over her head, um, but she was kind of her hip, her leg area was sideways and that her body was like almost laid on her belly. Um, couldn't see her face and the gun was up under her belly. The barrel was facing the door. Hang on, sweetie, okay? She had a good pulse and a heartbeat. She's trying to get up. Officer Howard came in, I said, we need to get her out. Uh, at that point, we picked her up, took her out of the closet, laid her in that master bedroom. Can we get her out to the bedroom? But once we got her out, I don't remember saying, I mean, her eyes were like road always back. She never said anything, she never moaned. Meanwhile, Captain Cowles with Spalding County EMS pulls into the parking lot at the apartment building. Um, I turned into the apartment complex and I saw lots of police cars. Um, I got out and someone walked up to me and said she's upstairs and said she, she wanted to kill herself, basically. And maybe before I went up, I had heard this was a police officer's wife or something. All right, EMS. EMTs arrive on the scene and swarm around Jessica. Do you know what she used? 
that Glock 40, 40 caliber. She had she had a head injury. It appeared to be a gunshot wound to the head. Um, if I remember correctly, I know we, we always look to see if we see an entrance wound or an exit wound. I believe there was a wound to her head, but I don't think that we found an exit wound. I never saw any weapons or you know anything else, but I didn't go. It's not my responsibility to go looking around. Um, when I ask, and we always ask, you know, what size caliber they said they thought that it may have been a service weapon. Spalding County EMS Lieutenant Hovis recalls seeing the injury to Jessica's head, a GSW, a gunshot wound. As far as I can, as far as I can tell, it was consistent with uh, what, what I would say is possibly a GSW. Um, you know, it, to be quite frank, you know, it was a, there's a lot of blood, so you know, it can be kind of hard to see, but it, was, it appeared to be a, a GSW. You know, top right part of her head on the side. After me, there was a, kind of a lot going on. She she appeared to be unconscious to me, maybe making some, some sort of noises, you know, moans or something like that. Head injuries can be kind of finicky, uh, but based off of my experience, she's actually doing, she was actually doing pretty well for somebody who, who you know, who possibly would, had been shot in the head um, or any kind of major head injury to the, like that. So she was, she looked pretty well, um, but she was, you know, out of it, that kind of thing. So it appeared to be normal. Officers on the scene began piecing together what might have happened. She was standing up. She was standing up right here, right here. It looks like she was standing up in the closet, probably facing the door um, because the injury wound is on her left side. Outside the apartment, Officer Jones' body cam then captures Matthew Boynton as he waits for news in the parking lot. EMTs finally arrive outside the house with Jessica on a stretcher where she's rushed to an ambulance. Cleared up, cleared up. After we loaded her, uh, we transported her to the fire stations right up the street. Uh, I think it's Spalding County Fire Station 1. And uh, we met Life Flight there or to fly her out to Atlanta Medical Center, I do believe. As Jessica is brought outside, Matthew is nearby. I could have just fucking jumped. I mean, if, if I could have been here two minutes earlier, man, I could have jumped in front of the gun and tried to get it from her, man. Look, man, look, she's still breathing. She's got good pulse, blood pressure. Uh, man. She's even fighting with EMS, dude. Where did she shoot herself at? I couldn't tell. Oh, uh, man. She would have never done this. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I, I was telling Guthrie, man, I was supposed to go eat with Guthrie. I got ready to leave, and I, I got ready to walk out the door and started walking down the steps. I didn't even get halfway. She asked me to come back, and she was crying. And she asked me, she said, well, can you, can you call EMS? I said, okay, well, you know, what, what's wrong? And I asked her two or three times, and she just looked at me and just kept crying. I said, can you please tell me what's wrong? You know, I, I mean, are you having trouble breathing, or, you know, wh what is it? She said, never mind, don't worry about it. So, I mean, I, I left. I mean, this is... It, Ask Guthrie, man. This is a common thing here lately. I mean, I got the Waffle House when I got the text. I circled back around, come back down uh, Highway 16 West, headed westbound, come back down through Carver. I was I was on the phone with uh, dispatcher Angie, man, to call EMS. Mm. I hit, Negative. I hit. I was hitting 90 coming down Carver, trying to get in here, man. If I could, damn it, man. If 
I could have been here sooner, she maybe I could have stopped her. I'll be right back. Distraught, Matthew watches as Jessica's taken away, wishing he'd been there, stayed home. But as we now know, Matthew left the apartment after he says she closed the door on his face. We know he texted his friend to meet up for dinner. But there were other texts that night, not to other officers or friends, but to Courtney Calloway. There were dozens of texts between Matthew Boynton and Courtney Calloway that night, including in the minutes before and after he received Jessica's note, the one about ending her life. Calloway later tells investigators about those text messages. Were you talking to, uh, to Matt the night that all this stuff happened? Up until it happened, and he had sent me a text message, and he would said, um, some stuff's going on, I'll talk to you later about it, and that was it. Around what time was that, do you remember? Mm, about midnight, I think. So it's about midnight. The day of the shooting, was Matthew with you during the day with the boys? Yes, he was. Um, and they left my house, I want to say about 8. Um, and he did text me. He was texting me, you know, after he had left, and he said something about they went to Walmart to get some stuff for the boys. He was, you know, like I said, after he had left, he was texting me. And he said, oh, we're at Walmart getting stuff for the kids. He called me the next day, and I just started crying because I was like, I mean, that was never the intention ever. And I felt terrible. And, you know, like I said, I figured, you know, I was under the impression that it was over between them, you know, so none of this would ever have happened. And, you know, I just started crying. I was like, you know, nobody should ever have to go through that, you know, to feel that way. And I feel, you know, partly responsible because, you know, I just feel awful. So now I'm to the point I don't really know what to make of it. Back at the Boynton's apartment as Jessica is taken outside that night, neighbors Megan and Eric wake up again. It's not gunshots this time. The next thing I remember is getting woke up by the lights and the sound of GBI backing up into the driveway. And my heart sank. I looked out the window and I saw GBI and I'm like, oh my God, he killed her. He killed her. And that was, that was running through my head was he killed her. And I immediately started panicking. I checked my phone and my fiance sister texted me that morning at like two o'clock in the morning. You need to check on Jessica. I feel like something's wrong. And she's one of those intuitive people that a hunch is a hunch. And I'm the same way. And I see GBI, I see police, I see fire, I see everything out there. And I'm on my porch and I'm screaming. I screamed at Eric. I told him, I was like, you need to go. You need to go ask them what's going on. I think she's dead. I think he killed her. And he goes down there. He talks to one of the investigators, and they said, we're going to come up and talk to you guys here shortly. And he comes up. He talks to us, and I said, it's Jessica. And he goes, yes, it is. And I said, she, 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 he killed her, didn't he? And he goes, no, she's still alive. That put a lot of relief on me because I thought, 
oh my God, I heard those shots and now she's dead. I should have called the police. I was freaking out. You know, and he told us, you know, she's alive. She was fighting with EMS and all this and exactly where she went. 15 miles south in Zebulon, Georgia, Jessica's family is still reeling. First told that she's dead, that she'd committed suicide. Her grandmother, Martha, who raised her, her grandfather, her aunts, they've all gathered together when suddenly Jessica's sister, Dusty, comes through the door. Dusty had already been to Jessica and Matthew's house in Griffin and learned that her sister had been taken by life flight helicopter to Atlanta Medical Center. Jessica's Aunt Kathy picks up the phone. She grabbed the phone and started calling hospitals in Atlanta and got the right one. And she told them that she had to tell a little lie. And she said, I'm her mother. And they said, she's alive. And she's in critical but stable condition. So we left immediately, you know, going up there. Martha, her husband, Jessica's sister, Dusty, aunts, uncles, they all head north to Atlanta and the hospital. The doctor, the emergency room doctor and a nurse met us. That's probably one of the hardest things that that we've ever done. And then they kept telling us that we couldn't see her because they had uh, guards back there. And so we couldn't go. And I wasn't real happy. And I kept asking them, didn't they have it in an observation room? I said, you know, the deputies come and they tell us that they're dead. Now you're telling us that she's alive, but we can't see her. And then as the doctors began to talk and try to, uh, you know, they kept, things that they were saying just wasn't, I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I couldn't comprehend what they were saying. I was so distraught, I guess. Jessica is alive, but the situation is grim. Doctors decide the best chance they have to keep her alive is to put her in a medically induced coma. She, you know, she looked really bad. Of course, she, you know, she was connected up to the vent. She connected up to all kinds of things. And it was, it was just, it was, you know, hard to believe that it was her because at that point, her hair was still uh, matted up, bloody matted up and everything. So she looked really bad. And we didn't know, you know, if she was going to come through it or not, you know. Today's date is April 15th, 2016, time approximately 5.14 a.m., conducting a neighborhood canvas. Back in Griffin, early that same morning, investigators start making the rounds, talking to neighbors, including Jessica's close friend, Megan, and her fiancé, Eric. It's my understanding y'all wanted me to come over here and talk to y'all? Yeah, it's... We got some information. Okay. You're not with the police department, right? No, I'm with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. I'm state police. She had come over. She's she's her friend, so... She's like a sister. Megan and Eric tell GBI agent Chris DeMarco about the days leading up to the night before, about the affair Matthew's been having, about the gunshots they heard. Her husband is cheating on her with yeah. another woman. If he's willing to cheat on his wife, he's willing to cheat the law. So it's my understanding that uh, Matthew is currently having an affair. And is, is that what the domestic issue is between yeah. them? Or? Yeah, because she, she's following, she wanted to file for divorce. And I heard, I guess he locked the door on her and she was pounding on the door trying to get in. Around what time? About 8 o'clock. About 8 o'clock? 8, 8, 9 o'clock. At about 10, about 10.45, I thought I heard a gunshot. 
that about 1045 heard a gunshot? Yeah. Oh, we heard we, something, we, and I said, what was that? Yeah, it sounded like a gunshot. I'm prior military, so to me it sounded like a, a gunshot. Did Jennifer ever communicate any type of threats that he had made towards her, or he was did, it just a... He did one, she did one time, she said that, um... He grabbed she, her. He grabbed her arm, and she, she told him, um... Said, don't you ever lay your hands on me again like that or something like that. He grabbed her arm, threatened me, because that was one of my questions to her was, has he ever threatened you? And that was the only thing that she stated. The thing is, if Megan and Eric are right about hearing gunshots before midnight, then something's not right here. Matthew Boynton claims he heard two gunshots as he ran toward his apartment. That was after midnight, almost one in the morning. It's just one detail, but an important one that doesn't seem to add up. And as you'll learn, it's not the last. Next time on The Officer's Wife. So he wasn't happy in the relationship. You know, I I told him, I said, I'm not gonna encourage you either way because you gotta make that decision. Right. You know, I did tell him multiple times. I was like, you know, if you're not happy, it's probably not gonna get any better. It's gonna lead to worse things. I know eventually the chief would eventually like to get uh, his officer back as well as his, you know, service weapon back as well. So, so we're going to try to expedite this as, you know, as fast as possible. Hush now, don't say anything. I'll be right where you want me. You want me. The Officer's Wife is a Vault Studios production in collaboration with WXIA 11 Alive in Atlanta. The Vault Studios team includes executive producers Will Johnson and Adam Ostro and investigative journalist Jessica Knoll. Audio production by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. Visit our website at vaultstudios.com to learn more about our podcasts, including Bardstown and our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles. And you can find us on Facebook at Inside the Crime Vault if you'd like to talk about this case and learn about other stories we're covering. If you or someone you know is in crisis, there are options available to help you cope. You can call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at any time to speak with someone and get support. For confidential support available 24-7 for everyone in the United States, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255.